Welcome back, gals and ghouls, to another episode of Twisted Manor. My name is Shimon's Rocky, and I am your host. With me, we have my most amazing co-host. Emily. Hi, guys. Uh, yeah, we're on episode six. We're going strong once a week, just like we said. Um, we just got some updates that we do at the beginning of every episode, just people are in the loop and are aware of what's going on in this podcast. Uh, the first update is links in our bio on Instagram. Our Instagram is at Twisted Manor, and in our links we have uh, our website, so you can listen to this podcast. Secondly is Telenim, and that is if you want to submit a short story to us uh, that is paranormal or scary or creepy in the slightest, just send it to us there, and we will read it as a bonus story at the end of the episode, just like the bonus episode, just like the bonus story we have at the end of this episode. Um, next is our merchandise, which I am wearing right now. Let me... Uh, Spread my tea out for a sec. So what we got. Blood Vessel. This is absolutely amazing designing, if I do say so myself. Uh, my hat is still on the way, and I'll be wearing that next time. Chef. No. <laughs> uh, next, do you want to do the next uh, announcement, next update? It'll just be number two right there. If you wish to donate or support the podcast without buying any of our merchandise, because... You might think it's lame, but that's because you're lame. You can follow the link beneath any episode and donate whatever amount you'd like. At the end of each month, we donate 20% to charity. And this last month, we just donated to animal welfare. We uh, do have the we do give away to charity at the end of every month. Uh, or we do the poll at the end of every month, and then we donate at the beginning of the month. Um, but we do give you guys the option of which charity you would like to give out to. So this last poll, we had the uh, Emily Glazier AIDS Foundation or Animal Welfare, and we had a whopping 27 votes for Animal Welfare. So we got about $16 uh, from people buying merchandise and things. So we decided to be a little bit generous and just give more than half of it away. So we gave $10 out to... Uh, animal welfare this month so thank you guys so much for the support and thank you guys also for helping us help a great cause um, and we'll have that poll at the end of every month of which charity you would like to pick um, so you guys always have a sway in what we get to do every month um, our next update is that we do have our instagram as i mentioned before twisted manner if you guys would like to see the images we're popping on screen because we do do this on youtube as well <laughs> we also do this on YouTube. Um, you can follow along with the images that we post on Instagram. Uh, so that way you're not left out of the loop. You see exactly what we're seeing, so on and so forth. Uh, lastly, if you guys would like to submit a long story that is one of the main stories on the podcast, or if you would like to submit a genre, because we do uh, theme our episodes then you can email us at twistedmanner.sub at gmail.com. Um, and that's it. So that's our updates for today. Thank you guys for sticking around for that. And we will just begin the show. Uh, as I said, we theme our episodes. So today we are talking about technology and how, you know, I don't know what you came up with, but, you know, like phenomena that appear on the Internet or dark web or you know like technology being used for communication anything along those lines um so do you want to start our first story or do you want me to start this time you start okay today we're gonna to be talking about phantoms of the night and how they affect technology and as technology advances the paranormal gets smarter i think 
Um, Emily has a lovely theory that I also agree with that as our technology advances, so do the animals on Earth as well. And uh, with that same theory going line by line with the paranormal, I, I believe that 100% as well. Um, if there's a new way for them to c communicate or spook us, then I'm sure they're going to use it at some point. So, uh, Our first story for tonight is the Doddleston Messages. The green light of the computer cursor pulsated in the darkness of the cottage, its rhythmic glow lending an otherworldly atmosphere to the roommate's usually cozy abode. Walking up the path to, sh to their shared home, Ken Webster, Nicola Bagley, and Debbie Oakes saw the light through the window and after a quick double take, they realized it emanated from their BBC microprocessor and not some monstrous creature. Ken rushed to turn off the machine. The IT department at school where he taught let him borrow it on weekends, and he didn't want to risk damaging it. In the year 1984, personal computers were rare. Expensive commodities and the clunky beige BBC with its minuscule black screen was worth its weight in gold. But as Ken rushed to power off, he noticed words glowing green on the computer screen, words that neither he, Nick, nor Debbie had written. Ken, Debbie, Nick. True are the nightmares of a person that fears. Safe are the bodies of the silent world. Turn, pretty flower, turn towards the sun, for you shall grow and sow. But the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Sounds like something that Rapunzel would sing in Tangled. It does. Sounds like a bit Disney-ish. So this strange poem was the first of what would become known in the paranormal community as the Doddleston Messages. As detailed in Ken's book, The Vertical Plane, the first signs of paranormal activity in the cottage began early. Ken writes that he noticed a peculiar set of spindly six-toed footprints that seemed to walk directly up the wall and through the ceiling. Chalking them up to grime in an old house, he painted over them, only to have them reappear the following day. You can't just paint the ghosts away. Yeah. Oh, I think weird. it's weird because he's like, oh, it's probably just grime, but it's clearly six-toed foot. Like, it's like an oddly specific observation. It's like when people observation. Are, have, like, these super freaky haunted houses and things, and they start renovating their house, and they find, like, satanic ritualistic things on, like, under the paint and yeah. under the floors. You can't get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. You can't escape there it. There to stay. Shortly afterward, Debbie, Ken, and Nick began routinely discovering cans, bottles, and various other small household goods stacked in precarious towers, sometimes reaching over four feet high. The trio figured that it must be a housewarming prank, courtesy of their local friends, and though they were unsettled, they quickly put the strange trash configurations out of their minds. The ghosts are playing beer pong. Well, the other thing is like, well, it's probably just the neighbors playing a prank. Why the fuck are they coming into your house? I'd be more nervous of a human being coming and just fucking with my house every day. Yeah, do they not have keys? Um, 100% would kill my neighbor. I'm really worried, yeah. Okay. The neighbor just, like, come and, like, copies your key. Yeah. You're not looking. <laughs> okay. Two months after the strange poem appeared, Ken, Nick, and Debbie returned from a drive to find a mysterious computer file saved as and I'll I'll um 
pronounce this the way I think it is, but then I'll just spell it out for you. It says, I think it says re eight. It's spelled R E A T E. Okay, like create without a C. Within, they found a message. And uh, I'll tell you right now, a lot of this is spelled extremely weird. So, like, the word what is W-O-T instead of W-H-A-T. So they have an accent. This is all seeming like old English is what they say later. It says, what strange words thou speak, although I must confess that I hath also been ill-schooled. Sometimes methinks alterations are somewhat barful, for they break many a sleeps in mine bed. I have seen many alterations. Lastly, charge house in thy home. Tis a fitting place with lights which devil maketh. Now, again, a lot of these are spelled really strange. Like, many has an E on the end. Methinks. Um, bin has an E on the end as well. Uh, sometimes is with a Y. A lot of these have a Y. Um, devil, D-E-V-Y-L-L. Frightened and confused, Ken brought this message to his colleague Peter Trinder, a teacher for medieval literature, who, according to the vertical plane, was convinced that it was written in Old English. The group interpreted the mention of devil lights to mean the computer, as described by someone with no concept of communication technology. As the year continued, the messages kept appearing on the computer. The sender revealed his name to be Lucas, with a K. Why, if he thinks that the computer's of the devil, why, why is he, he using, it? using it to communicate? I don't know. He's like, this email stuff is whack. Well, this is what's strange. The sender revealed his name to be Lucas and said he lived in the same cottage as the roommates, but in the year 1521, mm-hmm. which is several hundred years too late to be speaking what's thought of as Old English. But that's not the weirdest part of the story. Too Lucas, late? Yes. In the 1500s? Or were they speaking in the 1500s? Probably a different version, a later model of of Old English. Hmm. Um, Seems old to me. But Lucas initially <laughs> believed that Ken, Nick, and Debbie were demons or ghosts, citing paranormal activity that occurred in his home, similar to what the roommates were experiencing in 1984-85. In short, each party thought that the other one was a ghost. So, like, time travel? In a way. But how is he communicating using the computer? I don't know. Listen, listen. The Society for Psychical Research, a paranormal investigation agency in the United Kingdom, so I think, actually, I think you're right, it's in the UK, came to investigate Ken's claims three times, but found no evidence of spirit activity within the home. Today, the Donaldson messages continue to baffle paranormal investigators Were they the result of a time slip, the work of a cunning poltergeist, or simply one of the first examples of a computer hoax? Hmm. According to Eric Davis, author of Technosis, Myth, Magic, and Mysticism in the Age of Information, Donaldson messages continued an an age-old trend. Modern communications technologies have always been haunted, he says. The spiritualists of the 19th century believed that they had discovered an an occult telegraph it allowed them to talk to loved ones in the hereafter. So it shouldn't be surprising that home computers were perceived as portals to other realms, especially early on when the emerging forms of communication and self-reflection were still novel and disruptive. The story got weirder. According to the vertical plane, Nick, Ken, and Debbie told Lucas 
they were from 1984, confusing the ghost, who said he had assumed they were from the year 2109, like the others who had visited. Oh. He spoke of members of the 2109 Collective, supposedly from the distant future, who had visited to set up a time link within the cottage. Lucas continued his messages until March 21st, 1985, when he claimed that the other citizens of Doddleston had accused him of witchcraft for his communications with the roommates. He planned to flee after receiving threats that the villagers planned to kill him and burn his house. It is good to know that all will change, and there are true men to follow like Ken and Peter. Though 400 years is a long time, and there is much to happen to mankind, Lucas wrote, it is sad that men must learn righteousness from their ugly ways. The roommates never heard from him or 2109 ever again. So did did they research the house? Like, did um, someone named Lucas used to live there? Well, that's a little bit of a hard record to keep from 1500s. Maybe. Did the house um, ever burn down? Well, that's the thing. is like I don't think people kept record of who owned what house all the way back then. I think that's more of a like recent thing. But did the house burn down? I don't know. I don't think so. And Why would that make a difference? That makes it to me. That makes it sound like a like a that house is like central to like a like a timeline wormhole or something. Yeah, something strange. That the communication is not only from today into the past, but also into the future. Yeah. I would love to read that book, The Vertical Plane, and just read the whole subject. This is just a little glimpse into that story, how strange it is. Um, and I didn't get thousands of pieces of information to like fill in all the gaps that you're thinking. Like, mm. Obviously, like locations lit my mind when I was researching this, but... Um, if you guys are interested and want to hear the rest of the story, what other really weird things happen in that cottage, just read the book, The Vertical Plane. And that's all in the same house, basically? Yes. This is all what happened in that cottage. That's spooky. So, yeah, that was my first story, and I do have comments on it, but for later when I'm when we're finished with the whole show. Okay. So, yep, that was my first story, uh, the Donaldson messages, and uh, we can... You want to tell us what your story is? This one, and I'm like, there's no name attached to it or anything. I don't know if it's real or made up. You guys can decide and fight about it in the comments. <laughs> but if it is real, and it wouldn't be the first time that something like this has happened to somebody. For me, the nightmare began about eight months ago. I was still living in Florida with my parents. I decided college wasn't for me and I was working for a friend of the family. I was bored one night while home alone, so I got on a site called Chat Random. It's like Omegle or Chat Roulette. You just turn on your webcam and the website will pair you with a random stranger to chat with. It's pretty dumb, but I was hoping I would maybe end up face to face with a pretty girl. I knew the odds weren't in my favor, but hey, sometimes you get lucky. I spent most of my time hitting the next button. I don't remember exactly how long I was lying there hitting the button, but I eventually dozed off and fell asleep in front of the laptop. I woke up around 9.30. 
I was looking out my bedroom window and I had my back to the laptop, which was still open and on the nightstand next to my bed. I rubbed my eyes and rolled over to face it. My muscles tightened for a moment and I froze. I found myself face to face with a girl. On my computer screen, the chat random page was still active and the site had connected me with some girl in the UK. She sat alone in a dark room, directly in front of her webcam, staring at me and grinning. I'll never forget that face. As long as I live, I'll never forget that face. Red hair, dark eyes, pale skin. I can picture it so vividly. I close my eyes and I still see it. That smile. It was almost like it didn't belong to her face. As I examined the image, I could see subtle movements, so I knew this wasn't a freeze frame. She was watching me on a live webcam. Ew. I sat up in bed. She never said a word. The tiny blue light on my webcam informed me that I was still visible. I quickly closed the browser and shut my laptop. After the initial shock, a million thoughts began to race through my head, and the question I was and the questions I was left asking myself still haunt me to this day. How long had she been watching me? Why was she just staring at me? What was she smiling about? Ew. By that night, I had put the scare out of my mind and was happily distracted by video games with friends. I had spent the evening watching Vines and playing Xbox. My parents, who were out of town for the next week, called to see how things were going, and after that, I logged on to, I logged on to Twitter. A message notified me that I had one new follower. I didn't have many followers on Twitter, so I was interested to see who Too Pretty Molly was. Maybe a girl from school? It wasn't a girl from school, though. No. But I knew the face. It was the profile. I knew the face in the profile. It was the girl from Chat Random. The exact same sinister smirk I was greeted by that very morning was still plastered on her face. I jumped back into my rolling chair and covered my mouth in disbelief. All I could do was shake my head and say there's no way over and over again. I couldn't believe, I didn't want to believe that this was really happening. I felt like I was going to throw up and I remember I was trembling. Questions flooded my mind as I stared dumbfounded at her profile page. Why doesn't she follow anyone else on Twitter? Is this a new account? When did she... How did she find me? Does she have some sort of facial recognition software? How did she even know where to begin looking? Was there some clue as to my identity visible on the camera in my room this morning? I mean, who knows how long she was watching me in there. I couldn't sleep. I sat on the couch watching TV. My laptop sat open on the table in front of me. I ima my imagination had me paralyzed. Whoever she was, she was across the ocean in the UK, somewhere, and she couldn't hurt me. I'm safe here, I told myself. She can't find me. <laughs> That's what they all think. I know. I hate <laughs> when they say that, because then the fact that they even point that out means that it's not so true at some point. By 2 a.m., I wasn't even paying attention to the TV anymore. I guess I just needed it for background. As if in a trance... I watched Discovery Channel and sipped on an energy drink. 
The trance was broken by a loud crashing sound coming from the direction of the kitchen. I jumped like 10 feet and immediately grabbed the nearest hard object, which I'm sure was a scented candle. I moved to the corner of the room furthest from the kitchen and crouched, weapon in hand, and watched the doorway. I was trying to breathe as quietly as possible. I huddled in that corner for a couple minutes, and then my cat came strolling through the doorway. Stupid cat must have knocked over the pile of dishes in the sink. I'm fairly sure I cursed him out before eventually putting the jar back on the coffee table and returning to my seat on the couch. When I sat down, I noticed that Molly had tweeted at me. I reluctantly clicked on the notification, hoping and praying that somehow this tweet would explain away my fears. I thought I might be able to get some answers that would put my mind at ease. The tweet read, I love your cat. Ugh, what the fuck? (laughs) I could feel my heart racing. There was a picture attached to the tweet. Oh, what? The image was a close-up of her face. She was smiling and holding something up to her. A cat. She was holding a cat that looked an awful lot like mine. What the fuck? I felt my stomach drop and I thought my heart was going to burst out of my chest. I was afraid to look around me. Was she in the house? I I couldn't believe this was happening. I felt tears welling up in my eyes. I've never been so scared and I knew I had to move, but I thought I was stuck. It took all my willpower to force myself up off the couch and I bolted straight for the front door. I ran to my car, I reached the driver's side door and I realized I had left the keys on the kitchen counter. I was panicking and breathing hard looking around frantically in all directions for any sign of her. I looked back at my house, my eyes darting from window to window. I took to the streets and made a mad dash for the well-lit area across the entrance of my neighborhood. I didn't have any plan or clear idea about what I must have looked like at the moment. I had no clue what was supposed to happen next, but I just needed to get to someplace public. Eventually, after calling my friend, who managed to calm me down a bit, I went to the police and explained what had happened. They went to my house to check on things. It was in perfect order. There were no signs of forced entry. My cat was still there and perfectly fine. They eventually made it clear to me that their part in the story was over, and there was nothing more they could do. I was angry about that at the time, but looking back on it, what more could I expect them to do? There was no reports of suspicious activity and no evidence indicating my home had been broken into. On top of that, the only person who could be called a suspect was supposedly on a different continent. Yes, I sh- Yes, I showed them the picture of the girl with the cat, but they made the point that it could have easily been another cat. And yes, I told them about the suspicious circumstance in the eerily timed tweet. But one of the officers I spoke with theorized that the timing was coincidence. Um, I, of course, didn't buy that theory. But again, what more could I expect them to do? As creepy and as awkward as it is to watch a stranger sleep, I had voluntarily accessed the website and, in doing so, agreed to allow the website to access my webcam. But the officer decided to give me a lecture about being safe on the internet, like I was a child or something. I deleted my Twitter account 
and moved into an apartment with an old buddy, and I never went on one of those random chat sites again. I also never heard from Molly again. Until about a week ago, I received an email from an address I did not recognize. I'd follow you anywhere, it said. And attached to the email was a picture. In the image, you can clearly see a woman's hand gently pulling back a shower curtain, just enough for the camera to peer into the shower. It was my shower. Standing under the shower head was a man with his back to the camera. The picture was of me washing my hair. That's it? That leads me to believe it's fake, but... <laughs> I know, the cliffhanger. Usually people are like... Have like a resolution like I moved away and never saw it again. But. Right. That is really freaky. But I do like the fact that... Um, like, it, it does suck when the cops can't really do much help. Yeah. And I understand, like, those feelings of frustration... But I also like that they add, like, it makes sense. They're like, I understand they can't help after that. There is nothing they can do, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. That was pretty heebie-jeebie. Pretty spoops. You want to go grab some water real quick? Yeah. Okay. Hold this. I'll be right back, (laughs) folks. Or just uh, hang back and have a little intermission. Well, now I'm going to go grab my wife some water, and this is usually where we'd have a sponsor break, but we have no sponsor. So, um, we just wanted to say thank you guys for sticking around for this long, and I hope the stories are going good so far. Uh, We do want to mention that we have a rape trigger warning in this next story told by Emily. So, if you guys have an issue with that, then please skip forward past Emily's story. It will be the last one on the show uh, right before the bonus story. This should be anywhere between five to eight minutes long, so I would just skip around there. And uh, again, thank you guys for your support and for sticking around and listening to our stories. So, guess it doesn't matter. How do you turn these ones on? Oh yeah, the remote. Oh shoot! Yeah, we didn't even turn anything on. The wanna... remote's right here. We'll have it on for Act Two. I'll turn them on at the same time. Cool. And then check this out. Ha! Okay, act two. Better than better. Better than act one. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> we forgot to turn on literally every single light in here except for that one that just stays on. So that was my bad. Okay, for our third story for the night, The Telegraph. One of the wildest, weirdest stories of the supernatural that has ever come under the experience of mortal man is told by R.H. Field the Big Four Telegraph Operator at Southside Station. Mr. Field is a very intelligent and conscientious man, and he relates his fearful experience with a candor and earnestness that almost make one believe it in spite of extreme improbability. So he's the telegraph operator of Mm -hmm. some place? Do you know how old this is? Um, I'm trying to remember the year, or if I even wrote it down. Or like at least like the century... It should be within the last century, in the 1900s. That's not this century. Last century is what I said. Oh. The last century. Okay. It should be in, like... Who still uses telegraphs? The mid-90s, like 1950 or something like that. I have been a telegraph operator for 22 years. I have told my story to at least 100 people, and I have never met one yet who would believe that it was an actual fact. 
I know that it will be a severe test on your credulity, but my experience. What? Credulity. What does that word mean? Like your. It's gonna be a test on like your believability. Like how much can oh. you okay. go into? But my experience is gospel truth. I want you to understand that I have never and do not now believe in the supernatural. I have never attended a spiritualistic seance in my life and am rather inclined to accept the philosophy of Colonel Ingersoll, which is like the opposite is what he's trying to get at. Mr. Field was quite reluctant about telling his story for publication, but finally consented to do so. He's an entertaining talker and related the great event of his life with an ease that showed that he had told it before. It was several It was several years ago, he began, when I was much younger than I am now. I was assigned to night duty at a little station called Evansburg in Pennsylvania on the New York, Pennsylvania and Ohio Railroad. I hadn't been around the world very much, but flattered myself that I had a good deal of mechanical genius. The office was in charge of an old foggy sort of a fellow named Jones. The telegraph instru instrument got out of adjustment and I knew something about repairing it. Jones suggested that I take to my home an old-fashioned relay box and fix it up. Glad of the opportunity to show what I could do, I carried the box to my boarding house one morning and put it on the shelf in an old cupboard and went to bed intending to fix it after my sleep was over. I had been in bed but a few minutes and had not gone to sleep when, to my surprise and astonishment, the armature, or what is otherwise known as the lever, on the instrument began ticking. I was perfectly amazed and thought there must be some mistake. To satisfy myself that I had not been carried away by my imagination, for the ticking was faint and subdued, I got out of bed and with fear and trembling opened the cupboard door. I took the instrument in my hand and it continued to work. I put it on the table, but the sound it made was unintelligible. I turned the spring so that there would be less resistance, and then, in as clear and perfect morse as I've ever heard, the invisible person, spirit, or whatever it was, wrote, Do you get me? <laughs> I was so overcome that I involuntarily answered yes without putting it on the instrument. So he said it out loud. Yeah. The unknown heard me. For again, in the beautiful writing, it continued, Thank God, at last. My name is Charles Blake. I am an old-timer. My parents who reside in Mount Pleasant, Iowa, have lost me. They don't know that what my fate has been. I want you to write to my father, Homer Blake, at Mount Pleasant, and inform him that I died at Shreverport, Texas, of yellow fever. Uh, I have forgotten the date, but it was several years prior to the date of this communication. I was frightened to death. My hair stood on end. My boarding house was two miles from the telegraph station, and there was no battery nearer than the station. And there was no telegraph wire of any kind in that vicinity. I was a little dubious about the communication from the other world or somewhere I will not undertake to say. Venturing to write to Homer Blake was directed. I picked up a Western Union tariff book, which I had in my room, to see if there was such a town as Mount Pleasant, Iowa. I found that there was such a place, a fact that I did not know before, and that it was located on the Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroad. To satisfy myself and not be taken in, I wrote a letter to the postmaster at Mount Pleasant and asked him if he knew of anyone in that vicinity named Homer Blake, and to give him, or, and to give me what information he could, 
without telling him what I wanted it for. Yeah. A few days later, I received a reply, and I have this letter somewhere among my effects, in which he said that Homer Blake had lived in Mount Pleasant for some years, but that he had moved away. To what place, he did not know. Blake, he informed me, had two sons, one of whom, Charles, was supposedly dead, and the other was a grain merchant in the far west. Did you not pursue your investigations further? I asked. No, I did not. The truth is, I was scared to death. I worked that wire for 18 months. Every time I took off the relay, it made the same peculiar noise, and worked in a sputtering sort of way to show that there must have been some hidden or occult force across the other wires. Every once in a while, I used to ask Jones if he heard the noise, and he laughed at me. He never believed my story, although the reply from the postmaster at Mount Pleasant somewhat staggered him. I was actually so afraid to take the relay off that my hair used to stand on end, and I never had any further communication with the hidden force that called itself Charles Blake. I shall never forget that experience as long as I live. Mr. Field lives in, with his wife at Southside. He is well known in this city and has a reputation of being truthful and sensible. There is no doubt There is no doubt in the world that he sincerely thinks that he was talked to on that old instrument without wire or battery, and he declares most solemnly that it could not have been a matter of fancy. So that's How it. can he believe that? He said himself that there was no wire battery. I don't know. Very strange. So he said that after that encounter, every time that he removed that piece from the machine, that it still made that resistance noise. Mm. So every time he did that, was Charles always trying to communicate with him? I don't know. He said he never heard from him again. But the fact is that he, like, corrected the machine over and over and over you know, like he kept fixing it up. So mm. maybe he kept blocking him out by mistake. Yeah, I was just thinking that's super sad for Charles that like he's dead and his ghost has like unfinished business. He has to let his parents know like what happened to him. And this man's just like, mm, not real. Nope. And <laughs> that's so yeah. sad. He did try his hardest at the beginning, though. I mean, at some point, especially in this era when this happened, you yeah, there's no someone. way of finding his yeah. dad now. But yeah, so, I don't know. So do explain. you think that, so, because, like, among paranormal professionals, I guess you could say, most things that are haunted, like, especially when it comes to poltergeists, they're haunted to a specific object or place. Um, so do you I'm think that totally he sure. was, do you think that the ghost was stuck to his boarding house or the rail or like the, the telegraph itself? Yeah. Or the telegraph itself or the railway building that he worked in? I don't know. That's really tough because I believe that ghosts can move around depending on the situation. You know, I feel like I've had things follow me home and a lot of people have had similar experiences or beliefs that yeah. like you shouldn't call anything because it will come regardless of whether uh, your house is haunted or has backstory or not. That's true. And so what I find interesting about this story is why he's contacting that telegraph and that person because as he said, he died in Texas of yellow fever, but he's in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And even then, he's from Iowa. You know, so I don't know what any of that has to do with all the way over there, but it could be any number of things. 
telegraphs have been known to be passed around and like handed down. So maybe it's the telegraph itself. Maybe there was a ghost wire and he was actually telegraphing from Texas. Where so he yeah, died. I don't know. Very interesting perspective, but yeah, I have no idea. That's that one, so that one's kind of staggering on the information. That one's just kind of sad because that's not like a scary poltergeist or anything. Right. But it's just depressed. Yeah, that was just really <laughs> sad. Okay, you have one more story for us? Yeah, um, real short. Really short one. You want to hand me the water? No. <laughs> I don't I'm know. This epi- check this, it out, yeah. This episode's got me thirsty, too. <laughs> well, I just showered, and I'm always dehydrated after I shower because I turn the heat all the way up. <laughs> I'm melting. Makes sense. This one is more about how technology can be used for bad. So this is actually a news report um, back in 2018. Okay, so pretty recent. Yeah. Last four years, right? Yeah. Let's see, does it say like the year? This is the year that, yeah. This is 2018. And this is about a man named Daniel Drayton. I don't know how to say his name. <laughs> okay. Daniel it's like, Drayton. It's like Daniel and Daniel at the same time. Right by my finger. Mm-hmm. Daniel? I don't know. Well, let's just go with Daniel. Daniel Drayton. This is the news report they did on it. In mid-July... Police began searching for Daniel Drayton, a 27-year-old Connecticut man who allegedly raped and killed 29-year-old Samantha Stewart, a nurse from Queens, with whom he'd matched on Tinder. They eventually tracked him into a hotel in La- They eventually tracked him to a hotel room in Los Angeles when a regional task force barged into his hotel room. They found him holding another woman captive after he had sexually assaulted her. Now, as more details emerge, police suspect that Drayton may be a serial killer who seeks his victims on Tinder and Rideshare. And on Tinder and Uber. Got it. Nailed it. creepy because (laughs) that's such a widely used Yeah. both of them. Yeah. And they're so easily like... Like what he's doing. Like it's so easy to do something like that. Did your parents ever tell you like don't post anything about yourself online or like don't tell anybody anything? When I first started YouTubing when I was really young. Yeah. I was really young. My parents would make sure like I never film uh, like by mistake the address on our house or the mailbox. Make sure that like I never say like... um, I don't know, like, even, like, what city we're living in. Yeah. Or anything like that. But, like, I was, for whatever reason, they let me say, like, how old I am and my full name. So, I don't know. Yeah, pretty creepy. On Monday, Drayton pleaded not guilty in L.A. County Superior Court to charges of sexual assault and attempted murder in the case of the North Hollywood woman, who he met in an Uber ride. Drayton is also wanted in New York for the rape and murder of Stewart, whom Drayton reportedly met on Tinder. 
New York investigators are also looking into other cases to which Drayton is tied to. For example, a month before Drayton allegedly killed Stewart, detectives in New York's Special Victims Unit Detectives in New York's Special Victims Division were investigating a Brooklyn woman's report that Drayton choked and raped her after they went on a Tinder date. According to CBS LA, when he was interviewed by investigators about being rest when he was interviewed by investigators after being arrested, Drayton bragged about having committed at least six other murders on the coasts. However, no one tied to the other alleged victims had come forward. Sorry, our camera died, so we're going to finish recording on my phone. If you look at the body of work, what just took place, it's not much of a stretch, unfortunately, to think that there are going to be other victims, the chief of New York detectives told New York Times. We need those victims. We need them to come forward for a lot of different reasons. In just the North Carolina... In just the North California case, Drayton has been charged with attempted murder, forcible rape, false imprisonment by violence, and sexual penetration by a foreign object. His bail is set at one and a quarter million. As it should be. Yeah. Well, besides the disgusting people of the world... We've been talking about ghosts so far and, like, the weird paranormal stuff, but something that we've been wanting to incorporate on this show is true crime. Um, Hopefully we'll have stories in the future that have more interest and, like, like a a lengthier story that actually is more compelling. But in this case, I think it fits perfectly, the fact that you can't know who to trust online. Um, It's just... When you think about, like, paranormality and, like, how evil it can be and, like, man, like, it scared me or it killed someone or whatever, this is, like, everyday life that we know to be true for a fact with every scientific proof in the world that there is just terrible people out there, you know? And so as much camera footage as we have on the ghosts and things, we don't entirely know what we're seeing or what we're dealing with and there's hundreds of theories on everything but one thing that is certain is you have to be careful with what we do know never go on your tinder dates alone in private yeah always go somewhere public yeah don't hook up on the first date (laughs) it's not worth your life so yeah i mean as long as you're precautious and, you know, if if you can be careful with the way that you handle your life um, in the midst of others, then you're doing the right thing and you can't really expect much else. But don't make stupid decisions that could get you in harm's way. Um, people like this guy, Daniel or whatever. Don't date serial killers. Smart. Really bad. <laughs> Good advice. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that I wanted to mention, I said I was going to say after the show is done. Um, it's not completely finished yet, but you know we're at that segment, I think. Um, that I knew that you were going to mention the Technopocalypse, because I know how, how much you love that. But 
Um, I was expecting. (laughs) I was expecting both your stories to be about like your blender turning on and eating someone alive, or (laughs) your vending machine falling over and killing you, right? Some like sentience, but um, I guess I was wrong. I (laughs) I guessed wrong, but um, I was really interested that with both my stories, it wasn't about technology like turning on you, and it wasn't about like technology getting so advanced that we need to be careful. It's the fact that the paranormal beings use it strictly to communicate. I can just see Boomer saying, like, back in my day, our ghosts haunted us through books. Now all your ghosts are involved in your newfangled computer gadgets and <laughs> cell phones. Imagine you just open up your book and all the words start rearranging and just threatens you. <laughs> You're like, ah, uh, Romeo and Juliet, my favorite Shakespearean classic. You will die tonight. Oh. <laughs> he goes to the doctor. He's like, yeah, you're just dyslexic as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no one believes me. <laughs> For our bonus story, uh, they wanted to remain anonymous, but uh, their handle that they were using was arsonist. So we'll just call this person arsonist. Uh, this story is the man in white. I know this isn't super exciting, but when I was about six years old, my dad lived in an apartment complex. I would go visit him often, enough to know that I never want to go back. When I would visit, a man dressed in tattered white clothes would sit at the end of my bed. He would move my toys around, we would hear him running at night, doors would open and close on their own. I would sometimes wake up with bruises on my legs, and at one point, he tripped my stepmom. We had the apartment blessed a dozen times, kept holy water nearby at all times, and I guess that only made things worse. Knives were found in random places. Black mold grew around the apartment, but nowhere else. Not in anybody else's apartment either. The men wore white pants that appeared to be sullied with mud. He wore a light blue Hawaiian shirt. His long black hair constantly covered his face. He would always feel as if eyes were on you no matter where you were. Whenever I had sleepovers, their parents would never let them come back. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, sorry. Uh, Due to nightmares and stories that the children would tell their parents. Eventually, we moved and it all stopped. And I never saw the man in white again. Mm. So, yeah. Thank you, Arsonist, for sending in that story. It means a lot that uh, we do get these submissions. It's very important that, you know... To us, that we we hear the other side of things, not just from what we hear online, but from real people like you. So, again, thank you so much for the support. Uh, if you guys want, again, just a quick plug. Go ahead, buy some sick-ass merch. This shit's so comfortable. Uh, we got the Blood Vessel tee, and like we said last time, we got some new designs. So we got our mascot, Barry the Ghost, and uh, on a couple t-shirts, some of them designed by my sister, and also like the frostbite tea and we'll be coming out with a lot more in the next coming months um again if you guys want to submit stories just like arsonist or if you want a main piece then you can send us an email at twistedmanner.sub at gmail.com last thing we were just going to talk about today was a suggestion to see what you guys think uh you guys can vote for this on our instagram story that we'll be putting up tonight but i am a bit of an author myself and i wrote a bit of a murder mystery about it's a short story it's only about 20 to 40 pages something like that so if you guys are interested for a bonus story 
or a bonus episode on this podcast, we could read that for a night. Um, you guys can always skip over that, and we'll still have the, the normal episode for that week, but I'll take some time out of my day and, and make that a, a bonus episode. So if you guys are interested in that, go ahead and vote on the Instagram story. And um, yeah, that is it for the updates and announcements for the end of this episode. Thank you guys so much for sticking around, listening to these stories. And uh, again, thank you guys for your support. you have anything you want to say? No. Okay. Well, if you guys have learned anything from this episode, it's to stay hydrated. So we'll see you guys <laughs> in the next episode of Twisted Manor. Hydrate or dehydrate. <laughs>